We're in John chapter 10. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 through to 21. So while you're uh, finding John chapter 10 in your Bibles, I can tell you that this is a continuation uh, from John chapter 9. So Jesus is still at the Feast of Tabernacles. And we read about his going up to the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. This is the ongoing discussion that he's started with the Pharisees um, as a consequence of his healing of the man born blind that we've been uh, thinking about recently. So John 10 continues uh, that discussion uh, that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. So let's read it together. John chapter 10 and verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Uh, we're just going to be scratching the surface of this very rich passage of God's scripture today. But what we see here is Jesus picking up on the Pharisees' uh, treatment of the man born blind and his parents as well, and showing how destructive and damaging human leadership is when it's driven by self-interest. God's people in particular were to be led by leaders who were motivated by God's selfless desire to bless his people, 
Instead, as the history of Israel would show, selfish motives resulted in the abuse of power and injustice and suffering. You know, God had revealed his selfless heart to his people through his covenant agreements with them. And the leadership of God's people had a responsibility to teach the law of blessing, to enforce the rule of that law of blessing among the people, and also to model their own personal enjoyment of living by the law of blessing in their own lives. God's loving desire was to bless, and that was the whole basis for the ethical code by which God's people would live when they put it into practice and could enjoy life to the full. Now, even outside of Israel, in fact, more so, we might say, but actually, uh, God, through his prophets, did say that Israel was one of the worst. Nations on this earth repeatedly have shown the abuse and injustice that su and suffering that results because of sin and pride and selfish motive, not just in leaders, but also in those who follow, those who are ruled by the people by the leaders. There's a responsibility on both leaders to do so in a right way and the people to respond in the right way. And history shows us that in order for people to enjoy the full life that God desires for us, which was to be modeled through the people of Israel, and they failed at it, for that to come to everybody requires a new leader whose leadership is impeccable and entirely selfless and it also requires a heart transplant in the followers so that they can respond rightly to the impeccable selfless leadership that is brought. Now, we could develop this point further and in light of circumstances in our world in the last couple of weeks we see injustice and suffering and where that ends up but we're here to focus on the answer uh, to all of the troubles of humanity, and that's Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Jesus, in this portion, is drawing attention to himself, not out of any pride, but because he knows who he is, that he is the one who will lead people into the new way of living, a new way of living that can't be found anywhere else outside of him and outside of faith in him. So Jesus, he uses the established metaphor, uh, the use of the word shepherd to make his point. That's because in the Old Testament and also in the writings and the historical writings of the other nations at that time, kings and prophets and priests and leaders are described as shepherds. And for us in our present day understanding, we, we need to really think about what a shepherd's role was in the ancient Near East. The sheep were a source of milk, wool, leather skins, and meat. Same thing today. Back then, they were very valuable. And they were a symbol of power and wealth. The size of your flocks showed how important you were. But the shepherds who had responsibility for their flocks, and usually it was those who owned the flocks who took care of their flocks, they had three responsibilities. One would be to provide the flocks with food and water, what they needed. 
And that's why the Hebrew word for shepherd is often translated as to feed or to graze. The second thing was that the shepherds were responsible to pasture the flock, to take them to places of safety and security where the sheep could, without any fear of anything, enjoy what was being provided. There's the idea of rest in that as well. And we think about it today when we talk about people getting to the age of retirement, they're put out to pasture. Uh, the work is, is done in a sense. They're to enjoy what is to follow. And the third thing that a shepherd had responsibility for was to protect the flock uh, from predatory animals and from thieves, keeping the flock intact. And there's a couple of times in the Bible we, we have this image that the ancient uh, people living in the Near East would have known of their shepherds. A shepherd would count the sheep out of a pen as they went out, either with his rod or with his hand, and then count them back in again. There was this personal connection between the shepherd and a sheep. He knew them all and he touched them all. So I think we can see why the leaders of nations would be described as shepherds. It was expected that those leaders would provide, that they would pasture and they would protect their people. And the same thing is asked of the leaders of God's people today, but that's going to be a whole other subject for another time. Let's look at verses one through to six. And Jesus here draws the attention of the Pharisees to the, the village sheep enclosure. This was a shared enclosure or a courtyard in a village where the sheep were kept overnight if the flocks they were pasturing were pastured in the nearby fields. It was normal that for financial reasons, households or extended families would, would um, have one flock and they would put one young man or young woman uh, to be the shepherd. So that person effectively owned the sheep. And in the morning, the shepherd would go and uh, retrieve the family flock uh, from that enclosure in which there would have been other flocks for other families and households. And the doorkeeper would open because the shepherd was known to be the shepherd. And then you get this lovely picture that Jesus uh, speaks of, that the sheep would then be called by name. And that they would come out after the shepherd and they wouldn't respond to another voice. That trust had been developed between shepherd and sheep. And they respond to the voice that calls them out by name. And they would be taken out and as was the case in near, uh, ancient Near Eastern times, the shepherds would lead the flock, not drive them like we would normally see flocks uh, dealt with today. So Jesus in this was claiming to be the shepherd who had sole authority and credibility to call and to lead the sheep. It really was a dig at the Pharisees who were failing uh, to provide and pasture and protect the people of God. And Jesus is the one who's come to develop a relationship with the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as he described them. He's the shepherd who will provide and pasture and protect. In verse 6, we read that the Pharisees don't understand what he's getting at. They don't see that their relationship with the people was not always about the welfare of those people. Quite often it was because of selfish motive that they would deal with people in the way they did. I want to ask a question here. Do we recognize the voice of Jesus 
above all the other leader voices in the world. Jesus really is saying that his voice is the only one that we must respond to and the only one that we must follow if we're truly to be provided for, to be pastured and to be protected. We move on then to verses 7 through to 10. And you see the conjunction there, the NIV says therefore, or the word in Greek is so. It's because they didn't understand what Jesus had just said that Jesus develops the metaphor a bit further for them. There's the patient grace of God, always wanting to help us understand. And Jesus shifts the location, and those hearing him would have known this. He shifts it from uh, being the enclosure in a village where the flocks were kept to little enclosures that would have been dotted around remote pasture lands where a shepherd would have taken the flocks for a longer journey and it was too far to come back to the village. They would have to stay overnight in these little pens. And here Jesus says, I am the door or the gate for the sheep. And we have the image of the sheep at night having been brought into the pen, counted in, the touch of the shepherd, and then you have the shepherd lying at the doorway of that enclosure, himself being the door, highlighting the shepherd's careful awareness and protection of the flock. And Jesus is saying through this that he's the one who's compassionately concerned for each one in the flock. And he says that those who go in and out through him, so he's the one who uh, is the means by which they can go and enjoy everything that, he, that is there to be enjoyed going in and out through him are those who trust him to provide and to pasture and to protect. In Matthew 9 and verse 36, Matthew tells us that Jesus saw um, the crowds and that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he healed them of their diseases and their sicknesses. Only Jesus could deal with people in that way. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, we're told that Jesus saw the crowds who would later be fed uh, with a little boy's lunch. And he again said they were like sheep without shepherds. They had no leaders that would bring them into the things that God wanted for them. And it tells us in Mark 6, 34, that Jesus began to teach them. So Jesus was able to come and to address the particular needs of the individual in a way that nobody else could and to teach them the things of God in the way that the leaders of God's people had failed to do. Only Jesus was the one who could bring about the heart change and the change in the followers that means that they would follow him as the good shepherd. You know, it's only through Jesus, the door or the gate, the sheep, that through him, the son of God, that rich and full and overflowing life is to be enjoyed. Any alternative life that might be promoted by any wannabe shepherds is infinitely inferior and it's going to result in a stolen and a destroyed life which is why Jesus speaks of of thieves and robbers in this he doesn't want our lives to be wasted and stolen the life that Jesus will bring his people into is a life of fullness and meaningful activity of knowing personal favor and blessing from the Lord and and also the joy of fellowship with God's people life in its fullness, as Jesus described it, is characterized by his provision, his providing of pasture and his protection for us. 
Then we move on to uh, verses 11 through 13. And Jesus again um, develops it further and says, I am the good shepherd. Now, this is good, not in contrast to all who've gone before, but he's really claiming standalone, unique, distinctive quality. The Pharisees would have known the Old Testament well. Ezekiel 34 in particular was one of the really condemning passages. Verse 2 of Ezekiel 34, God said, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? But then God makes a promise later in verse 23. He says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. So God had made a promise that the leadership of Israel in all of its failure, the leadership of men and women of any nation were going to fail. But God was going to bring about one shepherd, one person who would tend and care for his people. And Jesus's unselfish care for the sheep is demonstrated by his laying down of his life for them. This is one of the most explicit claims that Jesus makes as John records it in his gospel, speaking about his death. You know, he would face the ultimate fearful enemy of every human being. And that enemy is our own sin and its consequences. I want to stress this point. God's wrath burns against us as sinners. And there's no escaping it. But through the leadership that's offered by others is only through the good shepherd. God in his mercy and his love grants forgiveness through faith in Jesus who endured the wrath of God on the cross. We often say, and it's true, that the devil is the enemy of God and he is the enemy of God's people. But the greatest danger to every individual is the wrath of God that is due to us because of our sin. The devil preys on people and destroys their lives. And leaders who leave God out and seek followers steal lives. But Jesus, praise God, he came to destroy the devil's work and also to endure on the cross the wrath of God that was due to us because of our sin, our enemy. He will go through that on the cross for us. That's why John said earlier in chapter 3, as we've already considered, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Jesus also said he's no hired hand who, having no financial involvement or attachment to the flock, would run away when threat comes. Jesus stepped forward to the fearfulness of the threat of the wrath of God, knowing he would face the wrath of God against himself for our sin. He's done that for us. He's so invested in his sheep. He's given his life for us. It's no wonder Paul, when writing to the church God in Corinth, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians, he says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You know, we're all God's property. He is the creator and the image of God is seen in each person. Psalm 24, verse 1 is one text that we could look at. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. But what we're talking about here is being owned by the good shepherd who has paid the price through his death to bring us to himself. And then verses 14 through to 18, Jesus again repeats, I am the good shepherd. 
And then he goes on and says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And that's a wonderful relationship that's described on the same, in the same terms as the eternal quality of the eternal relationship that's shared and enjoyed between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus is saying that we truly will know when we're one of his sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. We really can know in our experience if we're one of his. And it's possible because of what he says. He says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. That's how we can be brought into this eternal relationship with God. Jesus' life was laid down to purchase the flock. And then he took it up again because he had authority and power to do so, so that he might secure the flock to himself forever. And then notice this wonderful aspect. It's not just for the lost house of Israel, not just for the Jews. Jesus says, I have other sheep in another sheep pen. I'm going to bring them to. Here's Jesus, knowing that his mission is to gather the children of God from wherever they are to himself those who would have faith in him from every nation, every people would be brought to him. One flock with one shepherd, providing pasture, protection, and provision for eternity. There's only one shepherd, savior, leader that's walked this earth that can give us that. And then notice the reaction at the end of verse 19 through 21. They're divided again. We've commented on that many times. The people accuse him of being demon-possessed, some of them, but some rightly say that no demon-possessed man could have such logical command of language and develop what he's just said. And surely a demon-possessed man would not open the eyes of a blind man. Demons destroyed life. They didn't improve it. Here was the Son of God who'd come to provide who had come to bring people into pasture and to protect them in all of that for eternity. There is no greater leader shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, not in comparison, but in absolute contrast. He stands alone. I wanted to finish with Revelation 7 and 17. Revelation 7, John is given a, a vision in heaven of a countless multitude of people it says, from every nation and tribe and language and people. No exclusions. People from everywhere on this earth. They've been through the tribulation. Either that refers to the tribulation that's coming or tribulation now and tribulation that is coming. And they're gathered there and they're saying salvation belongs to God who is on the throne and to the Lamb. And then one of the elders speaks to John and says, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No exclusions. The lamb will be their shepherd to provide and to pasture and to protect. No exclusions. People from every nation and given where our world has been thinking at the moment, we must, of course, react in, in absolute joy that there's no favoritism with God and there's no place for it among God's people either. So we enjoy eternal provision, pasturing and protection, 
now and forever through faith in Jesus, the Good Shepherd.